So we came in and basically did the entire strategy. We rebranded the company to appeal to his ideal clients. We actually engaged a branding firm to go and do a whole bunch of research on exactly who these people were, create customer avatars for them. So you know, we'd have a, a general profile, of the type of person, the uh, type of jobs they have, their income, all those kind of things. And then we rewrote the entire website tailored just for them. We came up with a really compelling offer, again, just for them, an easy first step for them to take. Hi, this is Joe Polizzi with the Content Marketing Institute, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on the Productive Insights Podcast. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Thanks for tuning in. This is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com and the host of the Productive Insights podcast. Another value-packed episode that went for quite long, so I've split it up into two bite-sized pieces for your convenience. In part one of this two-part series, we talk about online strategies, the importance of being mobile responsive with your online approach, the importance of understanding your prospect and how that can help you to position yourself far more effectively to grow your business using online strategies. In the second part of this series, we talk about the biggest challenges people face when it comes to being successful online and how to overcome them, how to really empathize with your client more effectively, and my favorite part, the actions section. So I hope you enjoy this two-part series with one of our previous guests. I'll leave the identity of this guest as a surprise, so you can find out when you actually start listening to the episode. And I'd like to say that this episode is brought to you by the Productive Insights Done For You podcast launch service, which positions you as a leading authority in your market and successfully turns listeners into high-value, repeat customers. Book a call with me on callashroy.com to find out how to get started and to see if a podcast is a good fit for your business and your marketing strategy. I look forward to speaking to you soon. Now on with part one of this two-part series. I hope you enjoy it. Please leave some comments on the website if you find the information useful or if you have any questions. The URL for this episode will be ProductiveInsights.com forward slash Kyle hyphen Tully hyphen two. That's K-Y-L-E hyphen T-U-L-L-Y hyphen two. On with the show. Hey guys, our guest today is the owner of ConsultingTycoon.com, which provides marketing, consulting, and training services. He's a marketing consultant, a copywriter, and has over 15 years of experience. He's been a featured speaker on consulting, copywriting, and licensing at seminars such as James Schramko's Fast Web Formula, which is now known as Superfast Business. Today, he's a chief lead generator at GetLeads.co and helps businesses generate more leads with Facebook advertising and Google AdWords. I'm delighted to welcome Kyle Tully from GetLeads.co. Welcome, Kyle. Great to have you here, man. Thanks, Ash. It's great to be back. Yeah, it was awesome to have you back on episode 52, where we talked about specific mindset techniques around how to 10x your prices. That was really well received. I had no choice but to have you back because the audience voted unequivocally with their numerous downloads. 
(laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. I love it. Kyle, today we're here to talk about online strategies and why they're so critical to successful lead generation today. So could we start off by you giving us your thoughts on why the audience should really pay attention to what we're going to say today and why it is so important to generate leads using online strategies in today's world? I think the simplest answer is that's where the people are. You know, five years ago, even, but certainly 10 years ago, you could just be in the yellow pages. You could advertise in newspapers. You could do a lot of these, what we now consider old school things, and they worked really, really well. These days, everyone is online. Like if you're still in the yellow pages and that's all you've got going, you're probably getting about 10% of the the business that you're used to if you're lucky. If you're in the newspapers, unless you're, you know, again, got a very lucky campaign going on there, readership there is dropping and, and certainly readership in the younger markets as well. So the simple answer is people are online, people are on Facebook, they're on Google, you know, they're on all these different social media platforms. Mm. And if you want to capture that market, you've got to be where they are. And chances are, if you're on yellow pages and you're not online, then you probably won't be around as a business in another five years' time. Yeah, exactly. Something that comes to mind, actually, is Google's zero moments of truth. They've been doing these studies and they've been publishing these things about zero moments of truth. Now they call them micro moments or something as well. But essentially what they talk about is back in the day, 50 years ago or 20 years ago, sorry, you know, you want to buy a pair of shoes, you'd go into a store, you'd check out the shoes, you'd try the shoes on, you'd buy the shoes. So that was your first moment of truth. But then Google came along and created Google search. And then what happened was people would want to buy a pair of shoes and they'd go to Google and type in shoes, black, whatever the brand name was, and they would interact with the brand through an online interaction. And that was what Google called the zero moment of truth. And maybe about five or something years ago, or maybe 10 years ago, you needed three zero moments of truths or what Google calls ZMOTs. In America, they use the letter Z. Now that number is something like 15. So people are interacting with your brand more and more online before they interact with your actual business. And by the time they do interact with your business to make a purchase, they've already made their purchase decision through interacting with your brand online without you even knowing it. And they are there just to purchase the product. Exactly. People are a lot more sophisticated these days. You know, back when all you had access to was something like the yellow pages for looking up services or newspaper advertising, you would see an ad and you would pick up the phone and call that person and order the product. Hmm. Whereas now we see an ad somewhere and we can go online and we can research it and then we can go into the store and we can price shop on our phone while we're there Hmm. and in many cases order the product from our phone while we're in someone else's store testing the item and finding a better price somewhere else. So we've got a lot more options in terms of how we buy. We've also got a lot more information. People can go online and research and find out every single thing they want to know about a product. They don't need to interact with a salesperson anymore to learn about a product and most people have had bad experiences from salespeople who don't really know anything anyway. So now people are much more educated. They go online, they know what they want, and they're much more sophisticated in the product itself, but also how they shop and what they're looking for and everything. And you really have to get up to speed with how people are now consuming information, with how they're now shopping and buying and you need to be online. That's the bottom line. Like, There's no yes. way that you can exist in the next couple of years if you don't have some kind of online presence. You know, Kyle, I remember I was consulting to a major electronics retailer here in Australia and I remember I'd be in the showroom, I was doing some cash flow analysis and they were hemorrhaging cash and I would go to the showroom and check out how the customers were interacting with the products and they were actually using this scanning thing. They, I think eBay has the scanning facility where they would 
actually stick their phone up against the barcode of the product and look at the comparative price on eBay and then make a purchase decision soon after that particular retailer went and created a store online on eBay. <laughs> so that's really you know testament to what you're saying. So yeah, I completely agree. I think a guy called uh, Chris Garrett, who I interviewed back in episode six, said it beautifully. He said, you know, content marketing is a conversation that is happening out there between a buyer and seller, whether you like it or not. And as a seller, you have a choice whether or not to be part of that conversation through creating content or being present online. And if you choose not to be part of that conversation, then you are probably not going to get the sale. I think that's a great line, whether you like it or not. Mm. I've worked with lots of sort of grisly old veterans of various industries and they're up until recently, they were quite hesitant to move online and, and still wanted things to be like they used to be, mm. good old days, so to speak. <laughs> and it's so true. You know, this online thing has happened. People are – the way they shop and buy is completely different than it was even a couple of years ago now, you know, with right. how how much mobile has come ahead and how, you know, most websites now are mobile responsive. People just expect that they can pull up their phone, do a search and find what they're looking for. Yes. And so if you're not part of that process – you're missing out on so much business. You can't even comprehend how much you're missing out on until yeah. you actually get these strategies in place and then realize how good it is at the top. That's such a good point. And if you as a listener want to check out a bit more information about mobile responsiveness, check out episode 85 with James Reynolds where we specifically talk about that. And with Rand Fishkin, I can't remember the episode number, but Eric Enger, I think that was episode 42, but we talk about mobile responsiveness specifically. And I think that is so important. If your website isn't mobile responsive, then you're probably going to be smashed in Google's mobile search rankings. And the best way to check to see if your site is mobile responsive or not is just type into Google. I think it's mobile friendly test and it brings up a URL where you can type in your company's URL and it'll tell you whether your site is mobile responsive or not. Yeah, that's actually a strategy I teach my consulting tycoon students. You know, go onto that mobile responsive test, pop a couple of local business websites in there, guarantee eight out of 10 of them aren't going to be very mobile friendly. Wow. Contact the business owner and offer to help them out quick $1,000 projects over and over and over again. There's tons of opportunities out there because there's there's so much missing from most local businesses, most small businesses' strategy. They you know they don't even realize that they yeah. should be mobile responsive. And yeah. you know, if you're looking at your analytics data, we've noticed a big trend. A couple of years ago, it was about 40% mobile traffic. Two years ago, it was maybe 50%. These days, it's more like 60, 65% is mobile traffic for most markets. Yeah. So it's no good to just think, okay, we've built the website. Now let's make it mobile responsive. You almost want to have a mobile first approach where you know 65% of your audience are going to be looking at this thing on the on their iPhone or on the Android or whatever. It needs to work there best and then secondarily to work on desktops. Exactly. The things are moving so fast, aren't they? I I remember what was really interesting that uh, Rand Fishkin said in a previous episode, he talked about how mobile is actually growing. But interestingly, you know, it's not growing at the expense of desktop. So his studies showed that mobile is growing independently of desktop. So people are actually consuming content, you know, while they're traveling or while they basically are away from their desktop. So you actually have a fertile ground and a new frontier almost in terms of targeting people on mobiles because they're consuming content where they weren't consuming it before, maybe while they're falling asleep, which is not the best of places to do it, but people are doing it when they're at the gym and various different places. And it's a great opportunity to really grow your business. And a lot of other businesses aren't on mobile yet or they haven't exploited it yet. So it's a great opportunity to get in and be first to market. Yeah. And I think, again, it, it all comes down to consumers and how they're 
consuming information and how they're buying. So for me, for example, I'll often you know be out and about and I'm on my phone and I'll do a search for a product. I find something that looks good but I prefer to see it on my desktop before I buy because the mm. images are bigger, I can read more, I can watch the videos, yes. etc. So I'll save that link and then come back to it on my desktop. And so people do that or they'll be looking at something on their mobile then they'll move on to the iPad and they'll, they'll do their shopping yes. on the iPad. And so you've got to be really conscious of all these things and realize that just because like you, for example, you're getting conversions on the desktop doesn't mean that mobile is not important. That person might have come initially from a, a Google ad they saw on their mobile you know, consume some of your information, saved it for later, come back to the desktop and then purchase it. Again, it all comes down to being a lot more sophisticated than it was even just, you know, Mm. three to five years ago. It is moving very quickly. That is such a good point, Kyle. I actually do exactly that and it never occurred to me that that is how I have been doing it until you just articulated that so clearly. And that's probably why Apple created the handoff thing, which works quite well across various devices. And they have this kind of an overarching strategy where, you know, you can like with Safari, for example, you can add something to your reading list and it goes and propagates across all your Apple devices, which makes it very convenient to then go back later and pull it up on your Safari on your desktop. Now, I do use Chrome on my desktop, but and I don't know if Chrome has an equivalent, but it's very convenient to go later and look at things in your desktop. I do that as well, actually. Yeah, and I think one great innovation that's come out recently is on the iPhone, you've got your, I think they call it the one-touch thing where you use your thumbprint to unlock certain services. So my bank uses that, my PayPal uses that, a few other services use that. And so I'm finding I'm buying more things on my phone these days just because it's easier. You know, it used to be a bit clunky to type in a password, especially when you've got 14-character passwords with uppercase letters, numbers, dashes, etc. So I used to save a lot of stuff on my phone to then purchase on desktop because it was simpler. Mm. These days, I can buy things with my thumbprint. I'm buying a lot more stuff via my phone these days as well. So again, it's it's so important to have a mo- mobile responsive site where people can, you know, if you're selling products, have something that they can buy on, on the phone. It's going to make a difference to your bottom line. That is so true. So this conversation is really actually bringing up something very important. We started off talking about online strategies, but I think we should really highlight the fact that online is becoming increasingly synonymous with mobile. So there's a whole lot of reasons we really need to be very mindful of mobile approaches. And the listeners, if you guys are listening, whether you're driving in your car or wherever you are, just keep in mind that the more conscious you are of how your audience and your customers are interacting with your brand through mobile devices, the better off you're going to be. Just that little nugget that you just gave us, Kyle, about how people are first interacting with website via the mobile and then later on going and maybe consuming the content on their desktop or their iPad or you know moving between devices is such a valuable piece of information which everyone should consider when they're creating their products and their offers. Yeah, and the the little tricky thing is that the tracking for all this hasn't quite caught up to the pace of change. So it can be actually a little bit tricky to you know look at your your Google Analytics account and figure out exactly where conversions are coming from because there are so many touch points and people mm. might be using a work computer at one stage, a personal phone somewhere else, a friend's iPad. You know, there's there's quite a lot of different touch points, and so you know the great thing about direct response marketing is it's all you know very trackable and you can assign a dollar value to every single thing that's going on. But with the rate of change at the moment, you have to be okay with a little bit of a gray area where you know. 
someone might have originally done a search for you and found you on Google. So they clicked through on a Google ad, but they didn't buy right away. So in your Google account, it shows that that wasn't a conversion. You didn't make any money. But now yeah. that person might have, you know, then they think about a challenge they're having. They remember you. So they do another search and they find your podcast. So they come through the podcast. They start mm. listening to that for a month. And now they, you know, find you on Instagram and then they buy something through there. And there's like three to five, 10 different touch points. And yes, it's important to realize that if you didn't have that original Google ad running, for example, they might not have ever found your podcast or ever found your yes. Instagram. And so they never would have bought. And so you have to be okay with a little bit of a gray area of not knowing 100% what's working. Again, that comes down to knowing your audience and knowing your customers and where they are and how they interact with your brand online because that's going to tell you what strategies are worth you know, involving yourself in. That is such a good point. Man, you really bring some awesome insights to the podcast. Thank you. I, I so completely agree. Like I can think of a handful of customers or clients of mine that have initially found me via webinar, then they decided to listen to the podcast, then they connected with me on LinkedIn, they saw an article I wrote on LinkedIn, and then they decided to reach out to me to connect with me and say, how do I get to work with you? And this happens so often, you know, people are interacting on multiple media, whether not just media, but also platforms. So, you know, webinar is video and audio, then podcast is just audio, then written articles is just written, and they're all different mediums, you know, so you've got a webinar on whatever go to webinar and then you've got maybe Facebook Live is another video medium which I've started doing more of then you've got the podcast which is on iTunes and then you've got written content on LinkedIn or a Facebook post or even your own website and when people see you on different mediums and they get that consistent level of value from you that's when you start to build the trust and consistency in their mind yeah, very much so. I think trust is a, a really important word these days. Again, and that comes from the fact that people are much more sophisticated. They've got access to information. And so if they don't trust you, there's plenty of other options out there. And, and likewise, there's so many places that you can be to build trust and so many things you can do to you know win the trust of people and show that you know what you're talking about, that there's really no excuse you know, for not doing it. I mean, for example, I just had a lady join my community last week. She found me I can't remember the exact sequence, but it was basically she bought someone's ebook off Amazon and he mentioned my name. So then she Googled me and found a podcast episode I did with someone else about two years ago, listened to that podcast, followed the link, signed up for my emails, got my emails, got some value out of there and then joined the community. And, you know, this is a, a two-year-long process and, you know, right. I've got hundreds of these things out there building trust and interacting with people automatically, but it's been built up over a long period of time. Yeah, it's uh, our friend James Tramco uses the fishing crawler metaphor and he says, you know, every <laughs> single piece of content you put out there is like another hook. And I really like the way he says that because it's true, you don't know which piece of content is going to benefit you when, but I think the key is to continue creating high quality content, doing it consistently and propagating across different mediums. But I will say this, I think it's very important to be conscious of not building your property on rented land. So if you're going to have content, try and house it on your website and then link back to your website. If you're going to publish to iTunes, for example, you publish a podcast to iTunes, have the content sitting on your website. You may have it hosted on Amazon S3 or whatever, but it can be consumed on your website and iTunes is just a link which links back, which tells your audience how they can get back to the original blog post or the podcast on your website. Same goes for articles, same goes for Facebook pages, even Facebook lives. I always have 
calls to action saying, if you want more information, go back to this episode on my website and check out the episode. And that's where you can capture the email address and you can build a more sustained direct response strategy, which is something you're very good at. Yeah, it's so important to own and control sort of that core asset of your business. I mean, Another example is one of my friends had a very successful uh, little sort of fish and chip shop. They did about 200 grand in cash over the summer period mm-hmm. and then when the, the lease for the building came up the next time, the person didn't give them the lease. They sold it to someone else for a, a much higher price and he lost a, a very, very lucrative business simply because he didn't own the land on which it was it was being run from and you know I see the same thing all the time online where people are building a business mm. off of a, a Facebook group or off of a YouTube channel and <laughs> those are you know fantastic strategies and they're often very useful to have but if that traffic isn't being funneled back to an asset or property that you own such as your website yeah. then it's it's just a matter of time until something happens and takes that away exactly you get Facebook slapped Facebook changes their rules they change their minds you're done this has happened to so many businesses that you know, we're relying primarily on Google. And this actually is the beauty of building an email list where you're providing value to your customers through proactive distribution of content. And I'm not talking about spamming here because there's a lot of spammers. I'm totally anti-spamming. Sending entertaining and informative emails to your list on a regular basis, building that trust, building that relationship, and occasionally making an offer which is relevant to the audience, which actually brings up the next part of our discussion, and that is online strategy. Now, I guess I'm to some degree preempting the conversation here towards more of a direct marketing and email marketing conversation. But let's step back a bit. And why don't you share your view on what you think online strategy involves and how a business can use online strategies to grow? Sure. So look, I'm a pretty simple guy and I like to keep things as, as basic as possible. For me, your online strategy comes down to really two things. Number one, having a plan for what you're actually trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And you'd be shocked how many people just don't really have a clue what they're doing. And the second part is then having a plan for the execution of your plan. And mm-hmm. again, a lot of people don't have any of this stuff in place. Like their whole online strategy is, well, we have a website. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> what are you trying to do with the website? You know what I mean? Like, And it's shocking how many people just really haven't thought beyond the actual thing. They they hear that Facebook's important, so they run a Facebook ad. But okay, well, what are you trying to do? Who are you trying to attract with that Facebook ad? Hmm. What happens after you get that person? These are the questions that are a little bit tougher to answer and you know hmm. require a little bit more thought, a little bit more experience, a little bit of you know maybe marketing wizardry. So for me, it just comes down to having a plan and having a plan for the execution of your plan. Okay. You're saying once you have the lead, once you capture the email address, what happens then? How do you nurture that lead? What information are you giving that lead? How do you lead them to a relevant offer that they are likely to buy? Yeah. And even the way you you generate the lead. So what offer do you make for them to sign up? And that comes back to knowing your customers and the buying cycle they're going through. So, you know, for, for my business on the consulting tycoon side, I sell, you know, some courses that are up to sort of $4,000 and the chances of someone doing a Google search, coming across my website and then buying that course 
in a, a short period of time are very, very slim. So I know that I have to demonstrate my knowledge and my experience and build trust over a period of time. So I you know, get them to sign up for my email list where I give value and demonstrate expertise. I share success stories, et cetera. And over a period of you know somewhere between two weeks and, and two years, that person has built up enough trust with me that they'll then purchase. And so that just came down to me sitting down and thinking about, okay, what's the mindset of this person when they're searching? When they come to my website, what kind of frame of mind are they in? What information are they looking for? How do they, you know, what experience do they have of me? Have they even heard of my name before? Most of them probably haven't. And so you develop a strategy based on the unique situation you find yourself in. And that would be completely different if I was running television ads and I had my face and my name all over the television and we were driving traffic from there to the website, we would use a very different strategy because it's a different buyer and a different buying experience. That's great. So that's such an important point. Empathy, putting yourself in the shoes of your prospect and thinking of their mindset when they are searching, how they're interacting with your brand or your website, and then how they progress into becoming a customer. So that is something that's a big takeaway. That's an action step that listeners can take right away. If they're thinking of building an online strategy, think about how your prospect is finding you or likely to find you and then building a strategy around that. Spot on. Okay. And I really like what you said, by the way, about, you know, a two-step, a simple two-step process. Of course, there's a lot more involved with these steps, but first you come up with a plan of what you want to achieve. And then you come up with a plan around how you're going to execute on that original plan. And so you might decide, for example, that, you know, I want to increase my sales through Facebook advertising. That might be your plan. And then you would then create an action plan around how to do Facebook advertising. And that might not be just going and buying Facebook advertising first. It might be thinking about your audience and asking yourself, well, is my audience on Facebook or are they on LinkedIn, for example? So stepping back and, you know, really asking the important questions before just rushing forward with executing. Exactly. Just because, you know, Facebook's popular and lots of people are doing it doesn't mean it's going to be right for your business. So really important to sit down and think about where these people are and, you know, ask, go and find 10 of your best customers and ask them, are you guys on Facebook? How do you interact with brands? You know, just ask them some questions about, how they found your business, how they go about searching for other things. And you can learn a whole bunch of information just off your existing clients. It's going to help you tailor your marketing to get more of those type of people. Yeah. So thinking about your prospects and your existing clients is a great place to start. So that's another great action step right there that you can take, which is, you know, talk to your existing clients and find out how they found you and why they decided to work with you and what kind of things they're typing into Google or Facebook when they're searching for products like yours. Yeah, exactly. Let's move to the case study element, Kyle. So could you share a story or a case study around how you helped a business grow using your online strategy and your online skills? Yeah, there's actually one I'm I'm working with him right now actively. So I can't give the actual business name, but he's in a, we'll call a subset of the investment advice world. And he was the best case study because he was the classic person of he had done on paper the right things. He had a website. He'd hired a copywriter. There was a graphic designer involved. Everything looked great. They had a podcast. They were doing regular content. So on paper, it looked like they were doing great stuff. But when I sat down and actually did my audit of his marketing and and what was going on, I honestly, I read his entire website. I didn't actually know what he did 
or who he was able to help. Like I, I think of myself as a fairly smart guy, but I literally read his whole website and I couldn't figure out exactly what he did. I knew he did something to do with investments, but I didn't know who it was right for. I didn't know what he actually did. I had no concept of how he would actually do what he said he would do and I still didn't even know what he did. Like it was so confusing. Mm. And the same with the podcast and the articles, all these things, they were right on paper, but the execution of them was quite poor. Um, there was no offer on the website other than contact us and then you go to the contact us page and it was literally just a plain contact form, name, email, message, no further information. It was basically a case of there wasn't a strategy going on behind any of this activity. Lots of activity, no strategy. So we came in and basically did the entire strategy. We rebranded the company to appeal to his ideal clients. We actually engaged a branding firm to go and do a whole bunch of research on exactly who these people were, create customer avatars for them. So you know, we'd have a general profile, the type of person, the type of jobs they have, their income, all those kind of things. And then we rewrote the entire website tailored just for them. We came up with a really compelling offer, again, just for them, an easy first step for them to take. We build a lead generation system that would feed leads into that core offer. We build a marketing funnel with a whole bunch of automations on the back end to upsell those people into the next thing. So we basically just bolted on this strategy. I mean, we rebuild this entire marketing system, but just by having that focus mm-hmm. of strategy, we're still doing all the same things, right? We're still doing the website. We're still doing emails. We're still doing opt-in forms. We're still doing a podcast. We're still doing articles, but there's now a strategy behind it where everything has been tailored to his ideal clients. Right. Do you recommend putting offers on a homepage? Like I don't have an offer on my homepage at the moment. And is that something you recommend doing? That was the end of the first part of this two-part series with Kyle Tully. I hope you found it useful. Tune into part two of the series to find out Kyle's views on whether or not you should have an offer on your homepage, the key challenges that people face when it comes to developing and executing on a successful online strategy and how to overcome those challenges. And my favorite part, the action section, where I summarize a conversation and talk about key action steps that you can take to use online strategies to move your business forward and grow in this information overloaded environment. Now, if you want to access part two of this series via your browser, just head over to productiveinsights.com forward slash Kyle hyphen Tully hyphen three. That's K-Y-L-E hyphen T-U-L-L-Y hyphen three. That's the URL for the second part of the series. The URL for the first part of the series, which is this episode, is ProductiveInsights.com forward slash Kyle hyphen Tully hyphen two. That's K-Y-L-E hyphen T-U-L-L-Y hyphen two. If you enjoyed this podcast, please stop by and leave a review on iTunes. That would be sincerely appreciated. And don't forget to share it with as many people as you think would benefit from the information in these episodes. Your referral is the ultimate compliment. I'll see you on part two of this two-part series. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 